Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything. Come Okay, it's another extra Friday Scientology edition of Come Get Some with Rachel Bernstein today. She's got a lot of good things to say, a lot of insight that you might be wondering about. Uh, we don't get too into detail about, you know, about the effects and chemicals of drugs as far as uh, antidepressants and stuff go. We do touch on it. Um, I don't have a whole lot to offer in the intro here today. Uh, I just found out a few hours ago from a mutual friend of mine, Bernard, that uh, – my friend Mark Chambers has passed away. If you are a family member of Mark's and a mutual friend, a friend of Mark's, uh, just know my heart goes out to you, and I feel your your loss. And um, for you guys, um, for anybody who wants to know why Mark was important to me, uh, at the conclusion of part one here with Richard Bernstein, I will give my tribute uh, to my fallen friend Mark Chambers. Um, so I'll just go ahead and get the, uh, the preview stuff out of the way in the beginning, which I usually wouldn't do, but um, – Next week will be part two on Friday of Rachel Bernstein, um, every bit as good as part one with 10 questions. If you haven't heard Megawatt Cosplay from yesterday, she's like – she redefines cosplay if you, have a, if you have a specific image in your head of what a cosplayer is. Uh, she's an awesome lady, and you'll enjoy her, and make sure you catch part two of her with 10 questions on Thursday next week. Um, and if you're interested in finding out uh, the importance of Mark and hearing my tribute, of course, especially if you're a friend or family member – uh, stay tuned after part one here of Rachel Bernstein. Here it is. On the show today, I have licensed therapist and cult specialist. Uh, you may have seen her on 2020 just a couple weeks ago covering Leia Remini and uh, the Serge McGill material on Scientology. Uh, her name is Rachel Bernstein, and you've probably seen her on Chris Shelton's Critical Thinker at Large. Uh, welcome to Come Get Some, Rachel. Thank you very much, Chris. Good to be here. Oh, I'm just so glad to have you. It's so so great because I know I I want to get this out of the way real quick because there's a lot of criticisms out there and we heard it on 2020, the industry of death, and and all this stuff. Let me find out right now. Let's just get to the bottom of it. Why did you get into uh, psychology at all to begin with? How how did you end up doing that, and what what is your reasoning for doing so? Um, when I was uh, in undergraduate school, I uh, was studying to become a teacher and a special education teacher, and I noticed that when uh, there was a child who had an issue, I would want to know more about that child, more about that child's home life, why it was not only were they having trouble in school, but why did they show up for school in the middle of winter without a jacket on and no lunch, and what was happening, what was kind of going wrong outside of school, too, and um, a couple of people said to me, you know, great that you're getting these teacher credentials, but have you ever thought about becoming a family therapist? And I had, you know, I said, yeah, because a lot of people had said, 
even when I was growing up, that they felt they could tell me anything, and a lot of people did bend my ear over and over again, uh, telling me their issues, and uh, they knew I was always going to keep it a secret uh, and try to offer some good advice, so I feel like I've always been a therapist, and then I uh, got a license to do that, officially. Right. You are licensed right now, just to go over your credentials here, licensed marriage and family therapist since 1991. You were a teacher in uh, general and special education, which says a lot about mm-hmm. your character as well. Uh, and, of course, uh, one thing I saw that really, really stood out to me was the license with the Board of, of Behavioral Services, which I guess helps you out with the whole, the whole call aspect of things, um, because there's a, there's a lot to see there. I'm sure it helps you with everything. Um, what I, the reason I bring that up? I want to bring that up because, to from my understanding of everything I've been hearing and seeing and reading, uh, Scientology is a hundred and ten percent against psychology, against the psychiatric field, um, and everything's about they're evil. They want to pump you with drugs. They want to take all your money. It's all about a big money industry, and everything you just told me. Uh, at face value, speaks tremendous levels of of respect for the human being, just that you care about people. That's why people a lot of times get into therapy and psychology is they want to help people. And I, I doubt you saw yeah. dollar signs. I'm sure you saw you can make a living doing that. <laughs> but here you are on my... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's true, it's true. But especially with a lot of the populations I work with, you know, a lot of it is... Uh, based upon what they can pay or sliding scale. So, you know, I sometimes have trouble paying my own bills. So, um, uh, because I don't want to say no to people who are in need. So, no, it's definitely not about the dollar signs for me. Yeah, I mean, here you are. You're on a podcast, and I'm sure when you went on Chris's show and when you went on 2020, you're not making money. This is, and your your whole your whole career is is your time. Your time is your money. Uh, so another yeah, reason, especially working with a population that's been fleeced by their cult leaders, you know, no, they're, they're, that's not a way to make money. Sometimes I wonder about that decision on my part. <laughs> right. And what happens is once you get into it, you're, you're, you're now you're committed, and it's one of those things where you you I, I say this about my podcast because you're like my fourth or fifth conversation about Scientology, and with every conversation comes more pressure from outside sources we won't get into. And I'm going, yeah, you know, I asked for this. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so right. I put myself yeah, in this position. Right. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, Chris, you know what? I've had the same thoughts and the same conversations with myself because, you know, they've been after me and they've uh, harassed me. They've fair-gamed me. They've, uh, you know, all these terms that that you're becoming familiar with um, and hopefully now the population is becoming familiar with through shows like Leah's. Um and they're no fun to deal with, but, you know, they, they just love to bully. And it it had the opposite effect on me that I think they were expecting. Um, of mm-hmm. course, it scared me, which probably gave them great satisfaction, but I don't like bullies. And so it made me dig my heels in. And I thought, if they can do that to me, um, they're doing that to a lot of people, and so I need to be a resource out there for people who are dealing with this. They made you stronger with it, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I I definitely see where you're coming from. Like, I was never going to do a, sh- a Friday show on Scientology. I was never going to have Rachel Bernstein on my podcast. It was never a thought. <laughs> and then and then I saw what they were doing, and she's like, you know what? 
It's not, as I said this before the show, it wasn't Lair Remedy or Alex Gibney or Lawrence Wright or Mike Rinder that made me want to come after you guys. It was you guys. It was, it was their actual actions that motivate you to want to help people and get the voices out there. Now, now along the lines of what I started with, with when they attack psychiatry, you know, there's also the, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you know, I have had some interactions with somebody who has been speaking on behalf of the CCHR, uh, the uh, oh, yes. yeah. Well, Citizens Commission on Human Rights, which is so ironically titled. Sounds so great in title and name. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that they, and I, I just promised I'm going to bring up these concerns, so I just want to get your thoughts on these things. Uh, there's a huge claim. Now, in my research, and I admit I'm not the greatest researcher, I'm pretty good, but in my research I can't find any official reliable news source that says this, but you can find lots of people saying, in relation to Scientology, in relation to other uh, fanaticists mm-hmm. against psychiatry, that like 90% of mass murderers were on antidepressants when they killed everybody. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, you laugh, right? You're you're a professional licensed therapist, and you find that funny because it's kind of a silly thought, right? It's a ridiculous claim. I mean, I've actually, and, and you know. It was misdiagnosed. I didn't need it. it did, I had Prozac in my system for like almost a month, and I stopped taking it because I didn't need it. I didn't feel different one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't make me have homicidal thoughts. Now, I think there are times, now you have to admit, in the medical field in general, medical field, mm-hmm. therapy field, every field, there's abuses. Uh, there's, there's things that shouldn't be done, and they should be dealt with in a case-by-case basis, mm-hmm. not at the end of an industry. Um, <laughs> the especially the industry that helps people so much. Like again, every therapist I've ever met, for the most part, have been has been like you, where you are interested more in helping uh, than how much that hourly rate was, and um, or a session rate or however, <laughs> however you guys charge. But but the point is that you could go after any company for atrocities. You can go after Ford for uh, someone dying in a car accident because there was a defect in one model, and you're going to end the entire car industry because of that. Or mm-hmm. dentistry, because people have been dying in chair under anesthesia. But nobody's mm-hmm. ending dentistry. It's a little bit silly, but I have a theory, and I want your thoughts on this, Rachel. I feel like if someone is on antipsychotic meds or on antidepressants, even if there is uh, something to the specific drug prescribed that alters the mind a little bit, wouldn't you think that the the desire in the internal constitution to murder a bunch of people was just stronger than the effects of that antidepressant? Hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, you you are trying also to do something that I do often, and then I realize I'm just beating my head against the wall, which is that you're trying to apply logic to a claim that has no logical base. So we can come up with a lot of ways of sort of poking holes into this. I mean, thinking about, um, uh, you know, how, what did you say, 90, 95% of mass murders? I keep reading 90% of mass murders, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I think if they were, you know, 90 or 95% were on, were on antidepressants, I think we would have had a lot fewer uh, murders um, and happier <laughs> uh, who wouldn't feel the need to do it anymore so uh, it may have been a good thing 
but it's just not true. And and they can make a claim like that because there's no way to substantiate it. Right. Mass murderers are not the first people to want to sit down and be interviewed for a medical study. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's not like they're going to be um, easy people to sit and have a conversation with. So you know that there's no way to substantiate those claims. Um, it's sort of like, it, I mean, you can kind of make up anything. And, and there are there are studies, you know, I, I teach, whenever I teach classes about cults or even just about critical thinking, when people will say, well, what about this study and what about that study? I will always say, you want to go first, pass the study to who funded it, not who even who printed it and what company it was done through, but who funded it. And then you'll know if it's biased or not. Then you can read the study, but then you'll know what lens to read it through. So let's say you have, um, <laughs> I'm going to make up something here because okay. sort of, you can just do that. But let's <laughs> say there's this uh, mustard seed um, company that wants to make more mustard, and their big um, competition is the ketchup industry. <laughs> so what they say is that everyone who eats tomatoes basically dies. Right, because right. almost everyone I know has eaten a tomato in one form or another, right? And everyone dies. So you can make that claim. Yep, yep. Um, and so, right? And so then you say, oh, my God, no, don't ever eat a tomato. No, that's not what I said <laughs> at all. Um, and so I think what you want to do is you want to understand why they are, you know, having this all-out war. And I think I have some um, some ideas about that. Okay. Um, so I'll throw them out here for you, and you let me know what you think. And, of course, your your listeners can, can let us know what they think. And I'm sure uh, any Scientologists who are uh, listening are certainly going <laughs> to let us know what they think. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but one of the tenets of Scientology is to discredit the source of the information so that you don't have to listen to the person's information. So, for example, if I were to say to people, um, you know, people who get involved in Scientology have all of these negative after effects and, and they really are in a bad way, a Scientologist hearing that wouldn't pay attention to those claims, but instead would go after me personally. Why do you want to say those things? What crimes have you committed in your life? What are you up to? What, what Who is paying you off to say this? Right. So discrediting the source, me so that you don't have to pay attention to or take responsibility for the claims. So the same thing here. If Scientology can discredit the entire industry of psychiatry and then by its association to psychology and counseling in general, then they don't have to pay attention when psychiatrists will say, actually, it will help you to take antidepressants or actually leaving Scientology was the best thing you could have done or you know L. Ron Hubbard was not well emotionally or, or psychiatrically so again discrediting the source the other part is they want their auditing their kind of counseling to be the only thing that Scientologists will view as having any merit to help them emotionally and spiritually etc. And the only way to breed that kind of dependence on one form of something is if you can discredit all the other forms of it. 
Yep. And the easiest way and most successful way to discredit something is to make people fearful of it. So if you can make people scared of an idea, then they won't take the risk. Because what if it's true? You know, it, it almost sounds facetious. It almost sounds facetious what you're saying there. But you're absolutely right in the, in the effect that um, the, the words you used there were specific and perfect where only auditing is the answer. You, I've heard it so many times, only Scientology can answer this. So it really actually, mm-hmm. these, these, these dots connect. Everything you're saying, as much as anyone can actually try to fight with it and argue the point, it's, it's evident just by conversation alone that you overhear in the, in the media and everywhere it's been seen. And I'm sorry I cut you off. Go ahead, Rachel. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, it's okay. I mean, they're auditing, they're um, e-meters, their their whole you know purification rundown all these things that's that's a those are big money makers for them um, and so they don't want to lose that and it also keeps people going back into the system for help as opposed to going out of the system for help where someone outside will say actually the reason you're having these symptoms is because of Scientology and they they I think Scientologists are the people who started the system had a feeling that that's what would happen and they didn't want to lose membership, so they had to keep people in-house for help. Um, but I also know that um, there have been a lot of suicides associated with Scientology. Um, yep. And so clearly people have been kept from the help they really needed. And that's the unconscionable part. That's the malpractice piece of it where they have no business keeping people from the help they really need because it will sometimes cause people to take their own lives. Now, that's complicated, right? I mean, it gets more complicated by the fact that the people enforcing uh, these policies uh, have been bred and born to believe these policies. So so they, they, they think they're doing right. Yeah, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Um, I mean... After doing this for 25 years and working with probably at this point over a thousand former Scientologists, um, wow. I know there are plenty of people who, who um, yes, believed it wholeheartedly and had every good intention when they told people, don't ever take a psychiatric drug, it will kill you, and don't ever be with a therapist, um, it will stop your development and it will be dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. They really believed it. And... Hmm, I say there's also a percentage of people who didn't believe it when they were saying those things, but they knew they had to answer to someone else who was going to ask them if they said the right thing. Right. And they were afraid of getting punished if they actually were honest um, by saying, actually, you know, you probably do need to see a therapist. Um, And so they were covering themselves by towing the party line. They didn't really believe it, but they knew they had to say it. Again, something you're saying that some people may scoff at and say, I don't know about that. Uh, Tony Ortega has an audio, a video, it's just an audio on YouTube of someone being uh, declared an SP by Scientology. Mm-hmm. And basically, this is someone who wasn't even registered, a registered Scientologist. They weren't even acknowledged Scientologists. They were um, a spouse. And uh, she yeah. she's being told about how she she liked this post on Facebook and did this on Facebook and sent this message to this mm-hmm. person. And I'm going, why are you looking at this person's Facebook like that? You're not even their friend. How how are you doing this? 
you know, what, what, what personal space are you violating to get this information, and how are you ruining the life of somebody who just happens to be married to someone for now until this SP declaration comes? It's, it's, so, it's so messed up. But it's definitely verified by that that audio. You can hear that on, on Tony Ortega's feed. Now, real funny, uh, real interesting thing, not funny, but real interesting thing about that is I always thought L. Ron Hubbard, if he ever did anything right, anything intelligent, he thought these things through, like you're saying. He thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this is the only way to, to solve your mental issues and your, and your, your inner demons. And someone said, mm-hmm. psychiatrists are going to fry you over that. The psychiatrists are going to tear you apart. It's, okay, then psychiatrists are evil. And, and then it just blows up from there and becomes scripture. Um, scripture is a good way to put it, right. And people adhere to it as though it is the word of God because, you know, his word was um, was considered the word of God. You could not question it. And if you did, there was something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd be called on the carpet um, for disagreeing. In fact... Um, he, even though he was the mastermind uh, behind right. all this, and he had his own issues, um, psychiatric and medical, later on, that were mm-hmm. all hidden from his followers because he was supposed to be able to transcend that through That's the right. his own, you know, spiritual technology. Uh, but I know people whose job it was to, you know, when he was having a photo shoot, to go into his room and hide all of his bottles of medication so that it didn't show up in the pictures. Um, <clears throat> And so, you know, they kept sort of that, the aura going. But really, you know, David Miscavige is the one who is, I want to call him the evil mastermind. You know, Elrond Hubbard was sort of the crazy mastermind, and David Miscavige, who took the helm, is the evil mastermind. He's fine-tuned what was already in place. Um, And added his own brand of sadism to the group. Right. I guess I don't even know. Were there reports of Elrond ever beating anybody in the within the ranks, other than other than his wife and kids? Um. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard those reports. Yeah. I, I mean, I I I spend most of my time just helping the people who have left or helping families who have loved ones in it. I don't I don't know to the degree you know day to day, day in and day out. What's right. Happening. You can't. You can't. You can't um, know. Right. Exactly. Uh, the funny thing about that is, uh, I say funny a lot, and funny is just an expression. I don't think it's funny, but the interesting thing about L. Ron Hubbard is, and about Scientology, and you've basically been saying this the whole time we've been talking, is anything you can say against Scientology, Scientology is put on everybody else. And that, so if if you Always. if you can say they beat their people, you beat your wife. If you can say that uh, they're twisting your mind, I'm trying to twist your mind because I'm anti-Scientology. That's... That's the oh, whole yeah. mindset. Right, exactly. They they are suppressing people's ability to access information about the group. They, you know, Scientologists are not allowed to access the Internet. Um, they can't read news articles. They can't watch shows about it. So people in Scientology actually know the least about the group of anyone else. Um, so they suppress that. They suppress your ability to have a, you know, um, relation, an actual relationship with your family if they're not, in it, et cetera, et cetera. But meanwhile, if you speak out against the group, you're called a suppressive person, right? It's that redirection. Um, and so you're accused of the exact same things or the exact things that they're doing. Yeah, it's something that it's so, it's so interesting in the way that it's haps, it happens with the cults. Sorry, I misspoke. happens with the cults, but you see that in regular life. If somebody has an argument with you and they don't want to lose the argument, 
you'll see the same behaviors. It's not even just a cult thing. That's a that's like a common uh, like subconscious psychology method right there. Is uh, I'm always going to throw it back at yeah. you, and you see that probably with married couples. I do, <laughs> and then I get a sense of how mature. Uh, yeah. the, the person in the couple is or not, right? If they have developed that kind of nice, quiet confidence that you want to see in an adult who will say and be able to say without it hurting them emotionally and in terms of their ego and pride, you know what? You're right. Or, you know, I hadn't seen it from that perspective. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Hmm. But, you know, that's fine. Because it's, there's it's no skin off their back. There's something inherent in the personality of the group of Scientology and the people within it, unfortunately, who are encouraged to be this way, to be very regressive and childlike and to get into the, if they're accused of something, they'll go, yeah, well, you did, you know, like that kind well, of, like, what? Well, cause that's probably that's yeah. probably because of the knowledge reports. Because they're so used to telling on each other, it's it's a very tattletale uh, type of atmosphere. You're always on the defensive. So I mean, maybe that mm-hmm. kind of does that break down your maturity a little bit that you're always on the defensive that way. Probably, I think that's a good point. And yes, you have to defend yourself in Scientology. You're never really safe. You you're not safe from the leadership. And you're not safe from the people who are your quote-unquote friends because people are supposed to tell on each other. And, you know, reports are written up and you have to go for some lengthy session or you're sent to the Rehabilitation Project Force, the ethics officer. You know, you're given a hard time uh, even if you're just sharing that you were having a hard time. I'm sure there's been instances where someone saw something their roommate did or a friend did and didn't report it, and someone found out you didn't report the other person, then you get reported and you both go to uh, whatever punishments and, and, you know, and wait for you. Well, right. I mean, information in that group is power, and they want your information, and you are supposed to rat on each other. I mean, it really is um, so unsafe. And... You know, so much so that when people come to talk to me, they're so scared of revealing the quote-unquote secrets, as though, you know, they, they, they've really been conditioned to believe there's going to be some hell to pay if they share what they went through. And they look around my office for listening devices, for cameras. Um, they think that I'm a plant, that I'm they don't know. there. They don't know, and for good reason. Because it has happened. And now I've had the tables turned on me where I've had people come into my office pretending to be clients and they were Scientologists. And then oh. I got a full transcript of the session just with, you know, notes saying, you know, just to let you know we're watching. Them. They're trying to just set you up. They want you to say something stupid and try to use it against you. Oh, wait. Yeah. And if they can't find something... um they will just attack you personally because they've run out of material, but they still have that need to attack you as though you're attacking them. I'm not attacking. I'm just sharing the information that's been shared with me so that people, I mean, I think this is actually a really important point. I am not as against Scientology as I am pro making an informed decision. 
I right. want people to know the information they need to know in order to make an informed decision about staying in a group that may or may not be healthy for them, or leaving a group, or joining a group that may or may not be healthy for them. And how do they decide that in a healthy way without having all the information? Um, right. That's why I want people to know what I know and what I've been told. Um, but when you get involved in Scientology, you're never given all the information. In fact, you're given very little. So you're of the mindset of if everybody knows every if everybody who joins Scientology knows every facet of it and what they're getting into and they want to do that, I don't know why you'd want to, but more power to you. That, that's pretty much how you feel about it. Right, because I want to support people's ability to make a decision for themselves. I want to be the anti-Scientologist in that way. Right. I want to be the one who says, I support your critical mind, and I think once you have the information, you can make these decisions for yourself. So I'm not going to tell you what to do, because that's not my style. I don't need that. My ego doesn't need that. And I, I want to help you feel like you were able to empower yourself with and arm yourself with the information to make the best decisions for you. Uh, that's that's a great statement. I mean, I think that's going to mean a lot to a lot of people hearing this. Um, what, what's the biggest misconception? Uh, just just to piggyback on, I don't mean to skip around. We just got way down to the path. But I was going to ask you, what's the biggest misconception of psychiatrists and psychologists? Uh, misconception that Scientologists have, or people in cults, or people who are are against say, uh, psychology at all. Well, I think, um, you know, going back to what you were saying before, there are issues with every huh, with every mode of health and with every business, etc. Um, and sometimes there are some flawed and crazy people yeah. who go into the therapy field and go into psychiatry. I mean, I've met some crazy psychiatrists. Um, right. And I, I don't... And I do think there is a lot uh, that needs to be changed in our medical system and the psychiatric system. Um, and at the same time, I think it's unconscionable to say about an entire field, mm-hmm. they are going to be out to kill you. Because then when people really need it, they won't go, and then they're in more danger. Um and they don't know that there is help out there for them. So that's why I think it's so wrong for Scientology to rob so many people who really do need that help from being able to access it and trust being able to access it. But I think the biggest mis- misconception is, yeah, that that uh, therapists are out to somehow control you. It's really, you know, so many therapists I know who work um, the way I do, we are trying to free people from being controlled in abusive relationships, um, um, relationships with narcissists, right. um, uh, controlling parents, etc. You know, how can you free yourself from that and think for yourself? So it really is quite the opposite that we're doing. Yeah, that's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the, the abusive relationships. I've actually talked to a friend of mine for the show. Uh, we're we're going to actually uh, redo some stuff for the show before we launch it, but I have a friend who was in a in an abusive uh, relationship. It seems like some of the methods used by an abusive spouse mentally kind of matches some of the activity we see in cults. Is that, is that a fair statement? No question. I could run down, you know, 10 to 12, just off the top of my head, 
of, you know, so many of those kinds of similarity when you're dealing with emotional abuse, uh, physical abuse, control, manipulation, um, you have situations very similar, if not identical, to what happens within cults. There's some cults where there is a lot of physical abuse, where there is sexual abuse, um, where there is, I mean, in every cult there's emotional control and manipulation and abuse. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there are so many similarities. Do you want me just to throw out a bunch? Why not? Okay. <laughs> All right. So the first thing that, that comes to mind right away is not being able to question uh, what's happening to you and not being able to question or, or criticize the person who is doing it to you because then you get punished more. Um, mm-hmm. So right away you lose your power and you lose your voice. And then there is the fear. Within cults, there is the control, the manipulation. In Bible-based cults, not only do you have to listen to the leader, but the leader speaks for God. So, of course, you can't go against that because then God will punish you. And and um, so you're always worried that there's going to be some kind of consequence um, if you don't go along with everything. Same thing within the domestic violence situation, an abusive relationship. There's also um, the secrecy and isolation. Don't tell anyone this is happening to you. These are our private stories. This is um, this has to remain secret, so people don't know what you're really going through, and you have to put on a a good front and a and a smiling face and seem like everything is fine, but you're really suffering in silence inside. Um, oh, and another one is you're seen as selfish. If you want to do anything for yourself. Um, yep. I, I know someone who was, uh, well, it was in Scientology. She was having, um, she needed root canal. And she was supposed to go that day to do something at, at one of the orgs, one of the Scientology orgs. And she was in so much pain and she said, I have to go to the dentist. And she was called on the carpet for being tremendously selfish and, and um, abandoning the mission. Wow. Um, um, your whole purpose also for living gets defined by that a controlling person will define your purpose as needing to please him or her and that's it that's your sole purpose and yeah. in a cult it is to devote yourself to the leader and to to the cult and that's it that's your sole purpose um, and you're suddenly in a relationship or in a group where um, you are not allowed to further your own goal, like forget about keeping going with college or whatever you wanted to do. Um, your wishes, your boundaries are trampled on, not respected. Um, and nobody also really cares about your pain, um, which is a very, very difficult part. Um, and then also you're cut off oftentimes from family, friends who, especially if anyone has criticized the controller who you're with or the group that you're in, um, they're completely demonized and you have to cut off from them. And so you lose kind of your support system and you lose the people you could go to, um, for help. And then you're too scared to leave. All at the same time that you're miserable, you're too scared to leave. So, I mean, these are just things that 
pop. I'm sure there are many more. Yeah. There are so many similarities. I, I think it's important to distinguish that this is not the opinion of Rachel Bernstein. This is what you've seen. This is what you've the experiences you've you've come to know. You know, yes. I, what I do is I sometimes will take notes after I meet with someone when they've hit all these really interesting points. I'll just write down a bunch of notes. And what I started noticing after a while was there was crossover mm-hmm. between different people's experiences within abusive relationships and within cults. Sometimes almost identical language being used about the after effects or about their experiences or the power they gave up. It's, it's unbelievable. Now, you're talking about abuses. When you, when you say these abuses, um, I feel like I have to bring this up, and I know it's uh, not the easiest subject ever. Um, just a ballpark, just to, just to, just to get an idea, uh, how much um, of the sexual abuse within a cult have you uh, been privy to? Is there a lot of it? Is there a little bit of it? How, how much do you hear about that? Um, I've heard about it in a, a number of cults. It's actually, I mean, while it does happen sometimes within Scientology, Scientology is much better <laughs> and much more consistent at doing um, physical abuse and intimidation and emotional and spiritual abuse. Um, again, even though there are incidences of sexual abuse. Um, there are other groups that I've dealt with, polygamous groups, uh, Bible-based groups, Eastern meditative group, um, large group therapy weekends away, where, um, you know, and also when people are living on compounds, where there is sexual abuse and, and sometimes with, you know, minors who are really, really young, and it's just horrific to hear these stories. Um, so, yeah, so I've heard quite, well, I've heard more stories than I. Did you care to uh, remember, yeah. Than I, right, yeah. Well, let me let me put it to you this way, because uh, you're the perfect person to ask about this, because you're an analytical mind, you're a smart lady, you you're you're a, psych, you're a therapist, licensed therapist. Um, you've seen some of the dialogue from from Dianetics. Some of the dialogue from Dianetics. Yeah, some of the yeah. writings. Mm-hmm. In in uh, you're familiar with the yeah. theme of. Uh, all Ron Hubbard says this has been circulating a lot around the web recently because it's it's important, I think. So I'm fine with it circulating, but he made the statement in Dianetics that if a seven-year-old girl, uh, for instance, pulls away from an adult male trying to kiss her, even passionately, it must be something from her past basically causing that pull away. Now, mm-hmm. if you want to excuse that as a member of Scientology, if you want to minimize that, you can say it's a theory, it's an idea, it has nothing to do with, you know, that's your perverted mind making that into a pedophilia. But what's your opinion on that? What what does a statement like that mean to you, Rachel? Okay, so what that means is a number of things. Okay. Uh, first of all, ew. Okay, this is <laughs> clinical, but it's just ew. Yeah. Um, it's so wrong on so many levels. Um, but also, it goes to what happens rampantly in Scientology and other cults and within abusive relationships. There's a blaming of the victim, a demonizing of and a pathologizing of the victim in the story. What is wrong with you that you're not open to this, that you're not okay with this, that you're pulling away? There's no mention of the adult who is doing that to the seven-year-old. What is wrong with them? So they, the, the perpetrators don't ever have to deal with punishment. 
they don't even have to deal with criticism. Right. And they don't have to stop their behavior. And so what it does is it fosters a, a culture of submission. And it also shows how little L. Ron Hubbard knew about children, mm-hmm. about healthy sexual development, about boundaries, how much he didn't care. He didn't care. Oh. And how much there was there's rampant misogyny in the group and in his own life. It's a dangerous statement. And and also if that information is being transmitted to the seven year old, well let's see what's wrong with you that you're resisting this. She's gonna get or he is gonna get right. the impression that it's wrong of them to resist this. I mean that is so dangerous. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm right there, though. It feels like the people who are, like, maybe the most level-headed people within psych- Scientology are thinking, well, that, that that's just the theory. It's nothing to be taken literally. You think that's probably, is that how they rationalize it? That's how they rationalize most things. Well, that's just a story, and that's just something he said, or they'll say it was misquoted, or they'll say, um, what's wrong with you? This is more like a Scientologist. What's wrong with you that you're bringing this up? <laughs> what what um, issue do you have in your life that makes you focus on this, right? So redirecting <laughs> back to you that you brought this up. I, I was Not told to... I was told read the rest of the book for context, and uh, my my response was no. <laughs> There's no need. There's no need for further context on that. No, I'm good. I'm good. Really. Yeah. <laughs> I think I heard all I need to hear, and that's good enough for me. Uh, and there's a lot of the, minima- the minimizing of criticisms, and I think one of the things you you hit on much earlier here, uh, you, you hit on right on the head, as I see a lot. You see it with celebrities. I'm sure you've seen some. Uh, you don't you don't participate a lot in social media, but I'm sure you you look at it once in a while. Um, there's a lot of people who are a little bit upset with what they're hearing about Scientology that are making it known, and when they do that, when they go, "Hey, so and so celebrity." Uh, what do you think of this entry by L. Ron Hubbard? And then they get blocked right away, and they're called hateful mm-hmm. bigots for doing so. Mm-hmm. And there's not a hateful thing about that. No, no, not at all. And uh, at all. is this no. a, you do, I don't like what you're saying, so you're hateful. Block. <laughs> right. The mentality. Again, it's a, it is um, a skewering of the person who has said it rather than dealing with the information. It's another avoidance tactic. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, I think it's amazing. I've said this before on the show. It's amazing that the cult, the 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 supposed religion that's supposed to take you into a clear state into the next generation to bring everybody the clear, will basically disconnect from everybody at the same time. And, and I don't know how that contradiction works in the minds. Okay, so that was part one with Rachel Bernstein. Part two next week is going to be phenomenal, so come back for that. Uh, I said at the beginning of the show I would be um, making my tribute to my friend Mark Chambers. Uh, I, I want to talk about this for a second. Uh, first of all, uh, the first thing I want to say about Mark is he is a reflection of his family. His uh, From his parents down, just the nicest, most accepting people I've ever known in my life. Uh, I, I don't know if many people know this, but uh, – when I was 14, I was kind of a, I was kind of in an awkward spot. I wasn't like a loser, but I wasn't popular. I, I didn't have a place to be categorized. And um, 
I also lost my father to brain cancer, and it was the longest, most terrible year of my life, wait, basically waiting for him to die. Um, it was it was the lowest point. At that time, the first and only two people really to reach out to me at that time uh, were two classmates of mine, um, Mark and Bernard. Uh, Mark Chambers uh, was on the line three-way with Bernard, who I mentioned earlier in the call, I mean in the uh, on the show, and they not only wanted to extend their condolences, they wanted to extend their friendship, and uh, that was my lowest and highest point all at the same time. It meant everything. It always did. It still does, and it it always will. Um, over the years, we haven't really been in touch a lot. A few messages here and there, talking about reunions that never happened. Um, but uh. But it was everything. So in tribute to Mark, uh, I picked out a song here I'm going to play to end the show here. Uh, it's corny. It's appropriate, really corny, kind of dated. But I, I think Bernard would understand, and I know Mark would understand why I chose this song. Um, love you, man. How do I say goodbye to Yeah.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.